Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. The guest becomes the host, and the host becomes the guest. This segment is called Now You Do Me. Don't make it weird. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode of Shareable. This is your host, Scott Dubois, and I'm lucky enough to be joined again today by Jeff Gibbert. So Jeff is a... um, is making his, well, I don't even know how many, but he's, he's been here so many times. He's such a great guest. We continue to invite him back. And so <laughs> I have the pleasure today of, uh, of getting to ask Jeff a few questions. Um, Jeff, but if you'd be so kind, why don't you just give us a 30-second introduction to who you are and um, give the audience a little perspective on uh, who you are and what your approach and what you're up to. That's awesome. Thanks for having me, Scott. Um, so uh, that was that was really a great intro. Um, I'm Jeff Gibbard. I am the uh, founder and chief strategist of an agency in Philadelphia called True Voice Media, and we're a social-first digital agency. We offer uh, social media management, social ad management, content creation, and strategy is really what everything is anchored in. And that's that's the day-to-day uh, grind that I'm in. I also am uh, attempting to be an author, or I guess I am an author. I'm always told that you should say it in the in the present. And I'm the host, generally speaking, of Shareable, the uh, podcast that we're currently on, but today I'm the guest. And that's ultimately what I do. I get a bunch of side hustles too, but I hesitate to use the word side hustle because, you know, everybody uses it. Everybody, but but you're a busy guy, and more importantly, an interesting guy. So thanks again for joining me, Jeff. All right. So as we know, the Shareable Podcast is really about the intersection of people and technology. So what I want to know is, what's the one technology that you think will be life changing that you don't think is on most people's radar right now? Oh wow. Um, that's not on their radar. I mean, I don't think we talk enough about. Um, about genome hacking, about like, <laughs> about yeah. like, I, I, because I think like what gets the most attention is kind of the most visible stuff and generally stuff that's most techy, you know, like things that are on they're they're printed on silicone or that have circuits. But I think the idea of manipulating the human genome and what we can do with that is going to probably be the biggest and most important thing that, that we're able to do. And, and, and I think just to expand that I read, um, in our, I read a lot of like, crazy articles about future tech types of stuff. And, and I read that um, they were able to store something like 10 terabytes of data or something or some obscene amount of data on a single strand of DNA. So I think, you know, not just um, the ability to manipulate the human genome to eradicate diseases and, and to kind of uh, create superhumans of sorts, but also the ability to use biology as a means of technology. I think those are going to be some of the things that we're not even, and I think part of the reason we're not talking about it as much is because I think there's a little bit of an ethical dilemma there that uh, gets in the way of some people embracing those ideas, you know, of manipulating the human genome or using uh, human beings and our cells and our cellular structures and things like that as a way of storing information or whatever. I think there's, there's certain ethical considerations that we haven't yet had enough discussion on. But I think give it, you know, 15 or 20 years, I think that's probably going to be, that's going to put the whole virtual reality thing to shame. It's going to, not to shame, but it's it's going to overshadow the advances that we thought were such a big deal in mobile phones and mobile computing because of how fundamentally it'll change humanity. 
Absolutely, I agree. And boy, you answered that question perfectly, both being life-changing and not on most people's radar. Great, great job. And so what what I'd like to really know now is, uh, is is there a neat tool, a neat plugin, or even a a social network um, that you've used in business lately that you can talk about that um, really gets you excited? You know, what I'm looking for are those small finds that, you know, as as entrepreneurs, we always just get a little bit excited about and go, boy, that's neat, and uh, that you've been able to use lately. Uh, most of the ones that I use that really are impacting my life are ones that people have heard about. But I think okay. for me, the the impact of those tools for me personally and professionally might be more substantial than they are for others. So uh, I'll give you the two tools that always come to mind when I think about life-changing tools for me or, or business-changing tools, and that's uh, Asana and Evernote. And it's not like they're under the radar. It's not like you know uh, companies like Uber or Twitter aren't using some of these tools. But for me, I'm a very um, uh, scattered person at times just because I have so many ideas and I have so many passion projects. And I'm very ambitious in the number of things I try to take on and and the overall size and scope of it. But I'm also um, very quick to forget whatever I'm working on. So if I go into a strategy session, I will crush that strategy session. But as soon as I walk out, I forget everything that happened. I basically like black out. I go into like beautiful mind and start drawing on the board. Then I walk out. I have no idea what happens. So Asana is the thing that allows me to outsource the the things that need to get done. And Evernote is the thing that allows me to outsource remembering things. And those two tools alone are basically an a non implantable, wearable version of me becoming a cyborg um, because I've, I've, I've offloaded memory to yep. external tools. So for me, they're, they're super duper important. And I know that, you know, uh, people have heard of them probably. Um, but any other kind of tool that I would bring up would be something that someone's heard of. Maybe it's under the radar. And, and I think the reason why um, I would bring up these two is that I, you know, I've, I tinker with a lot of different tools and technologies, but it's very rare for me to find something that I think is profoundly impactful to me as those two tools. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then talk to me a little bit about your team, specifically when you're looking to add people to your team. What does that process look like? And what I really am curious about is how do you judge both skill and culture fit? It's a really good question. Um, I, for a while, made the mistake of just hiring people that I liked. And, and it was a mistake that it didn't work out. It's just that it wasn't the best that we could be. And it wasn't until I started working with a business coach that he really made me nail down why I would hire someone. Like what, what makes someone a good fit for the team? And we nailed it down to three different um, aspects of a person. And it would be that they are trainable, that they are purpose-driven and they are competitive because I think those three things are going to allow anybody to fit into my company Um, because one, I I think company culture is a product in in large part due to the leadership ownership and founders of the company. That's my company is me. I am my company. And I think for people to deal with me and for people to be able to help the company grow – those are things that have to happen, so I'll, I'll quick break them down. I think if you don't have purpose behind the work that you do, if you just see it as a job and you don't believe that the work that you do makes an impact or, or leaves lasting meaning, which I firmly believe making businesses social really does, I think that it's very easy to quit on it. And it's very easy to um, get frustrated with your work because you don't 
you don't see any bigger reason to do it. So the purpose-driven part is a really, uh, it's a guiding force. I think being trainable is important because um, this industry moves so fast and technology moves so fast and best practices move so fast that it's important to not just be able to take training from someone else, but also to train yourself and to constantly be in a state of learning. And because I have a wealth of knowledge that would take years for anybody else to catch up to, you know, from the outset, um, they have to be able to take that information and be willing to synthesize it and understand it. So trainable. And then competitive is important because um, I don't like to just win. Uh, I think winning is cool, but um, I want to like, I want to destroy the competition and I want to win at such a level that it's undeniable. And I think the only way that you can win at that kind of a level for your clients is if you are so competitive that you don't take good enough as an answer. So you're constantly after that massive win. And I think if you combine those three things, um, talent is less of an issue to me, right? Because I think most things, uh, talent related, if you're trainable and purpose-driven and competitive, you will learn how to do most of the things that we work in, in, in social are not difficult. I can teach someone to be killer at Facebook ads, but they have to be willing to learn it and they have to want to be so good at it that they take it upon themselves to learn it and get better. So that's, mm. I think that's how I go. That is, I just say, these are the three kind of thresholds that you have to, to cross. And if you are those three things, you'll probably fit. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring, um, kind of those last two questions full circle now and, and kind of really try to understand where you are with the business. And, and by asking this question, I think it'll, it'll help me. Can you tell me, are you guys vertical focused? Do you s focus specifically on vertical markets and why or why not? Um, currently no. Um, we're doing a lot of soul searching because I'm really trying to figure out how to categorize the, the clients that we really love working with. We have a handful of clients over the course of our entire time in business that we just loved. You know, we, we love innately, like you love all your children, all of our clients, but there are some that are just, you know, we wouldn't want to give them up no matter what. Um, so I haven't been able to find anything industry specific that makes sense for us. Um, and I think partly I've resisted the idea of going vertical focused because I didn't want to get trapped. I like being creative and I like learning from industries that I wouldn't normally think to work with or companies I wouldn't normally think to work with and bringing over those learnings back to, you mm -hmm. know, a company in a different area. So for instance, we, you know, we, we've worked with companies in pharmaceuticals. We've worked with summer camps. We've worked with companies in insurance or in healthcare or in law or in finance. And we've also worked with companies that, you know, sell stuff like tchotchkes or women's clothing or, uh, you know, you name it. And what's interesting is that we are always learning something from each of those that we bring to the other. So I, I think I'm naturally resistant to the idea of getting into a vertical because I've never wanted to be like, you know, we're the social media consultancy for insurance or, you know, we're the, we're the social media marketing agency that works with finance because I feel like we would get trapped in the, uh, the doing the same thing over and over because we know it works rather than taking risks and pushing ourselves by being in industries that are different. Yep. Interesting. Very good take. Very good take. And, and so my last, um, kind of 
question here in this segment is something I love to ask and talk to other people in business about, specifically other entrepreneurs, which is why I think it's great that you're our guest today. So what I love to hear about are people's work habits and in, in, in how they work the way they do. And so none of us like email. I'm, I'm, I haven't talked to someone yet who is just in love with, with the email process and, and what that looks like and the deluge of it. But talk to me about how you handle it. Are, are you someone who's just everything in the inbox? Do you have automatic filters? Do you actively work from your inbox? Or, or is it something else? Talk to me about how you handle that as an entrepreneur on a day-to-day basis where email can just kind of take over. I love to use technology to scale. Um, so I am one of those people that looks for robots. It's what I, that's my kind of affectionate term for anything automated. Um, I look for robots to do as much of the work as possible. So I generally will set up as many systems as I can to have like automatic filters in my inbox, uh, to put things in folders or, um, you know, using things like if this, then that, or Zapier or, uh, RSS to email or RSS to social or, you know, any piece of technology I can get my hands on to scale and turn me as one person into the, the work or output of six people is excellent. And I've used technology for the, the bulk of the life of true voice media as, as my way of doing that. And I hit a point where it, it came to the point where I couldn't manage any more technology systems. And I realized that the next step was I had to use more people. So I started looking to leverage people and learn how to delegate to them. And once I teach them how to use systems, we then, instead of going from one person doing the output of six, we go from maybe, you know, six people doing the output of 36. So I'm, I'm looking to kind of leverage those two together. Um, it's much harder to, uh, to leverage the power of people than it is the power of technology, I think, because technology is, you know, it's a series of switches and knobs and levers, and there's a certain, um, predictability to it. Whereas with people, there's less predictability to it, but it, I found that uh, people learn faster than the machines do. So um, for my email, for instance, I, one, use a number of different filters to keep the number of things that make it to my inbox minimal. But I also have an executive assistant who reads pretty much all of my email and filters out the things that I don't need to see so that I'm only focusing on the things that are most important. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. by necessity. That's, you know, by design and necessity. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, that was some really, really great insight, Jeff. And so what I'd like to move to now is I have four rapid fire questions for you that I'd love to uh, just throw at you and and get your quick take on. Nice. I'm ready. Okay. So talk to me about your web browsing. And we didn't even ask the the question, are you you Mac or or PC? But I'm going to bet on you being a Mac person. I Uh, am. All right. So so then what my real question is, is um, is it the native built-in web browser or do you use something else? So for you, is it Safari or is it something else, the Chrome or the Firefox? So I actually love browsers. I have a little bit of a browser addiction. My primary browser is Chrome and I set up Chrome users for different workspaces. So when I'm working on side projects or side hustles as as they're so affectionately called, I usually will create a Google account and an entire Google user and everything for that. And then that's its own web browser with its own bookmarks, its own extensions, etc. Um, so I have a lot of that. And I, I generally will also do that for clients where I'll set up a shared workspace with them through a Google synced Chrome browser. At the mm-hmm. same time, however, I'm fascinated by, um, I, as an early adopter myself, I like to toy with new things and see how they work. So because browsers are now not just a thing that you use on a computer, but something that you might use on a computer, a uh, lap or a tablet, 
and, um, and a smartphone. And I like the idea of those devices syncing together. I'm always looking at how different browsers are able to, um, to implement that. So I do use Safari on my phone, on my iPad, and on my computer. But I also use Chrome, I use Firefox, and I use Opera. I'm, I'm very, very impressed with Opera from a mobile perspective. I think it's probably the sexiest browser out there. Um, and, and I keep... The thing that I'm often uh, really struck by, I think a lot about is, you know how uh, the Windows phone tried to create this like unified experience where like everything right. was kind of the same, whereas like Apple, it felt like tried to do it a little bit more based upon the form factor of the device. So I'm always looking at those things. Like, is it better to have a consistent experience or a device specific experience? So like my, my bookmarks, for instance, looking at a ton of, I'm a big bookmarker. So on my computer, it makes sense. It totally works. But on my phone, it gets unruly and overwhelming. So I, I play with all of the different systems. And um, but, but the simple answer is I use Chrome as my primary system. Gotcha. All right. So you're on vacation. Um, what are you doing? Are you hanging out and laying on the beach or are you doing something that's more active? Depends where I am. <laughs> so if I'm – and I'll just give you the – I know this is rapid fires, but I'll give you the quick – if I'm – uh, somewhere sunny, I probably want to be doing things because I burn easily. So I don't just want to like lay around on the beach and laying around makes me full of anxiety because I, I do so many things. So it would take like the first three days to just unwind. But if I'm in, um, if I'm in like a mountainous area during ski season, I am spending every minute I can on the slopes. Yep. All right. Uh, steak or sushi? Oh, come on. That's not fair. Like for, ah, uh, 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 I guess, God damn it, man. Sushi. <laughs> good choice. Good I, choice. Neither of them are bad choices, but neither of them are good choices if it's at the expense of the other. I love steak. Right. Those, those happen to be my two favorites. All right. And final one, you can have a five minute phone call with anyone in the world. Who would it be? I know these are supposed to be rapid fire, but these are really good questions. They're making me think. Uh, it, I mean, it's a toss-up between a couple different people. Um, I would probably – a couple of them are going to be podcast guests because I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them on the show. But uh, shit. I, you know what? Maybe Sam Harris. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I, I like it. I like it. Um, all right. So Jeff, I, I really, really appreciate you being uh, a guest today. It's, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, anything else that you'd like to uh, tell the, tell the listening audience uh, before we wrap up today's episode? Nah, I, I think that's, uh, that's about it. You were a damn good host, man. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thanks again for joining us and um, to our listening audience. Uh, thanks. And I certainly know that this episode has been shareable. Nice. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get? I can actually. I schedule them. Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next? Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes. Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review. And then, what's that one last thing we want them to do? I don't know. Share the episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's in the name. So, please share this episode. Tell everyone you know. And we'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Bye.